Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on arsblog.com. I hope you're well. It has been a pretty eventful week since we last spoke, it has to be said. Arsenal, well, what a victory against Fulham last weekend. Incredible skill and panache and drive and... Um, yeah, no, no, that didn't, didn't quite happen like that, but it was a victory. There's no denying it was a victory. Manchester United have wrapped up the title since last we spoke. Olivier Giroud is suspended for three games after a a red card against Fulham. And Luis Suarez has turned himself into a kind of zombie cannibal and has been banned for 10 games. Well, what a strange, strange man he is. Nevertheless, he's provided uh, the world uh, through the medium of Twitter with a, a number of jokes and quips which have of course, become stale after about three minutes because the minute anyone posts something funny on Twitter, somebody else posts it almost immediately, claiming it as their own. Not me, though. I'm not into all that. I decided I'd spend my week perfecting a Luis Suarez impression because, you know, everyone's climbing over themselves to talk about his biting and his racism and his maybe his mental issues and his anger management. But who... Who out there has been doing a Luis Suarez impression? Nobody. Not even Mikey Arwood. And we all know he is the king of impression. So, uh, without further ado, my my Luis Suarez impression. Here we go. Hang on. Delicious Serbian. Mm. See? Perfect. No? Right. We'll leave it there. Um, So, uh, since last we spoke, uh, United have won the title which is not altogether unexpected, uh, considering the way, number one, that Manchester City, the big bunch of bottling cunts that they are, won up against Tottenham with 15 minutes left to play, just decided they could not be arsed anymore. Tottenham put on Tom Huddleston. Tom Huddleston. He changed the game. Imagine. That's how abject Manchester City were. Tom Huddleston was the guy who, who made things happen for, for Tottenham. And Manchester City's reaction, bearing in mind that they are the richest club in the world. Nobody else has got more money than they have. Nobody. What do they do to try and reverse this uh, turnaround? Well, they, they put on Scott Sinclair, who, who I'm guessing, of, of course, is some relation, perhaps son of ex-Leicester legend Frank Sinclair, such as his footballing ability, it's impossible not to draw that comparison. So they, they must be related, I guess. And and Jolien Lescott, they put him up front. Uh, yeah. You're the richest club in the world and you're, pu- you're putting Scott Sinclair and Jolien Lescott on to get the fuck. What a way to try and defend your title that was. Pathetic. Really, really just shit. Which means, of course, that Tottenham got some points and it meant that Manchester United could win the title if they beat Aston Villa. And it's sort of like uh, the if there is, if I put a cream cake down in front of Grant Holt, is he going to eat it? Where's the cream cake gone? And Holt is already gone. Filling his belly with delicious pastry and cream and perhaps a bit of jam. There's no question that United weren't going to beat Villa on Monday night. I can't remember the specifics of of how they did it. Um, That escapes me at this moment in time. But the point is, they did it and and they've won the title. And uh, I'm not one of those people that's going to uh, trip over myself to congratulate uh, 
what is essentially the enemy. Let's face it, especially given the circumstances of this particular title, when uh, absolutely no question of me being in any way gracious towards them or how they've done it. They may well be the best team in England. They are, in fact, the best team in England, and good luck to them. But I'm not going to be magnanimous or fawning or sycophantic over them. I I just refuse, absolutely refuse. Same way I'll refuse uh, when City win the title, when Chelsea win the title, when anyone other than Arsenal wins the title. I, I just hate them and begrudge them their success because I want it. I'm not blind to the fact that Arsenal haven't won anything for a while, but I still won't be congratulating people that, you know, I just don't like. And, you know, there is that extra added bit to it uh, this season uh, that makes me not like it even more. The only good thing about it is that they're not coming uh, on Sunday to try and win the title on our ground. That would be absolutely awful. The uh, the guard of honour thing, well, yeah... I suppose we can live with that. I'd much rather that than them winning the game and then celebrating like fuckers on the pitch afterwards, knowing that they've clinched the title on our ground. That would be much more upsetting to me than, you know, a little bit of a round of applause. I mean, if you gave me the choice between uh, a guard of honor and drowning them in their own piss, I'd drown them in their own piss. But given the choice between uh, our players... Uh, giving them some light applause as they enter the pitch. And I'm sure some of some of the fans will too give them some some light applause. But given the, the choice between that and them actually winning the game and then cartwheeling and doing, you know, eating zombie arms and shit like that on our pitch, no, no. It's the lesser of two evils. They're both pretty fucking evil, but they're still the lesser one, and that's the one that we've got to choose. Uh, there'll be more to talk about, obviously, uh, with regards to that game as we as we go on in the podcast. Uh, Olivier Giroud, he'll be out, of course, because he picked up a red card. I thought he was a little bit unlucky um, seeing replays. Well, you can understand why uh, the, the decision was made on the day. The referee, of course had sent off Steve Sidwell, quite rightly, for a pretty bad challenge on Mikel Arteta. Uh, and Arsenal didn't take advantage of the 10 men when we played against Fulham. We sort of went into ourselves. We got a goal, and the goal didn't even free us up. We were sort of nervous and tense, and you could see that in the performance, and we'll we'll touch on that. But I guess I understand why they appealed, and I don't think there was any real danger of uh, an extra game being added to the ban for a frivolous kind of appeal. But anyway, to talk a, a little bit more about the bits and pieces that have gone on this week, I'm delighted, as always, to welcome back to the Arscast, Philippe Auclair. Hi, Philippe. Hello. Let's start, if we will. We'll leave Arsenal to one side for a moment, but start with what happened on, on Wednesday, um, mm-hmm. which followed on from what happened at the weekend uh, when Luis Suarez uh, took a nibble on Branislav uh, Ivanovic. Um, the FA have handed out a 10-match ban to Luis Suarez, um, mm. and I think it it seems that every couple of months something happens which puts the FA's disciplinary procedures into a, a worse light because we have Suarez being banned for 10 games, which is two games less than he got for being racist, which is twice as many games as John Terry got for being racist. And, and we've spoken before on this podcast about the, the way a bad tackle can put a player out of a game for, out of the game for for a year or can destroy a player's career like we've seen with Abu Dhabi and the perpetrator mm-hmm. of that tackle gets gets three games um the player is out for for a year he, he might never recover so it just seems that there's something fundamentally wrong with the FA and the way they deal with discipline in, in the game of football 
There are many things which are fundamentally wrong with um, the FA, and in particular with uh, the way the disciplinary committee uh, is working. Um, first of all, is the complete lack of uh, cohesion uh, in the decision making, um, and uh, the uh, the way that, uh, as you said, you can get. I mean, remember Paolo Di Canio as well, um, and the, the quite comical mm. incident in which he pushed that referee and got was it 11 or 12 games, something yeah, like I think that. Yeah, so yeah. And uh, the, the fact that uh, the mandatory uh, punishment for um, breaking somebody's leg is uh, is three games. Um, I mean, I don't think you'll find anybody in football who think that what was the decision that was taken on Wednesday uh, is uh, purely rational. Uh, I think many people would would say that had it been a different player, uh, perhaps of a different nationality, uh, the treatment might have been a little bit difficult. There was a a trial by the media. Uh, this, this is not to condone what Suarez did, which was completely crazy, but uh, uh, it, it just makes no sense. And the, the FA hides, uh, they hide themselves behind uh, supposed FIFA regulations, which prevent them from doing exactly what they want, when it, partly when it comes about incidents which happen so-called on the ball. Uh, you might remember, you know, uh, McManaman's tackle uh, on Haidara in particular mm-hmm. is an absolutely horrific uh, assault on a player and who is very, very lucky not to have had his leg broken in that. And, uh, well, he didn't even get referred to the FA Disciplinary Committee because of some stupid regulations, which honestly uh, are, are a fig leaf um, for, for the FA to, to hide behind. Uh, because there is everything in FIFA regulations which allow a particular FA uh, to uh, act retrospectively, for example. Um, this is the case uh, in France, for example, which is a member of FIFA. And where, interestingly enough, and I'm not saying this is necessarily right, but, for example, say, I mean, it happened quite recently, if a player is red-carded uh, for a very vicious tackle on another player, and um, it results in a very serious injury to the other player, the disciplinary committee has the power to impose a much longer ban. And there have been numerous instances of that over the years. Mm. And, and there's a great degree of flexibility. I, I would not you know, say that the French League and the French FA are necessarily models of great governance and, 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 and reason. But in that particular instance, they're, they're on the right side of things. And also, you have got a, some idea as to how the process works. Because there doesn't seem to be any logic behind the decisions taken by the FA. This stupid thing of reducing, um, I mean, a- any, tack- any red card tackle is, is a three-game ban. And if you take the case of Olivier Giroud, when honestly I think it was more, uh, it was clumsy, I'm not saying that in the letter of the law it was not a red card, but it's fairly obvious that he almost walks on the ball and then goes on to, uh, to have an impact on his opponent's leg. And, yeah, fair enough, according to the rule of the law, that, that can be considered a red card offense. And I don't really have a problem for that. What I have a problem with is that there is no uh, consideration as to the gravity of the uh, of the foul that was committed, uh, and why on earth would biting somebody on the arm, crazy as it might sound, be a more uh, serious offence than going over the top and breaking somebody's leg, mm, it, sometimes it, on purpose, yeah. like uh, like you know, like Alfie Ireland is all too aware of. Sure. 
is it a can of worms that they don't want to open? Because you, you can look at something like biting and it's ludicrous, you know, yeah. and it's easy to say, well, that's that's ludicrous. I don't think on the face of it, anybody would have a, a, an objection to a 10 game ban for somebody biting another player because it is just a, a stupid thing to do. Um, yeah. But it, it's when this uh, trying to decide, I suppose, intent comes into it and. Uh, perhaps the reputation of a player, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, they, they fear a, a can of worms if they take, if they throw the book at somebody for seriously injuring another player, it, it's going to be a very difficult thing to manage for them. Well, uh, is it, would it be more difficult to manage that um, than the current situation? I'm not too sure about that. Mm. I mean, the discrepancies in, in, in punishment or the uh, inflexibility of, of the law as it is perceived and, and, and applied in, in the Premier League is in itself a, a problem that generates a, a lot of controversy and, and a lot of problems by itself. You could say that if you have a more flexible approach to it, which is, again, I repeat, something which is totally open to the FA, whatever they may say in this particular instance, they're totally, utterly wrong. They can, they can do it. They can, uh, they can act and they can legislate as, as they see fit. They can alter the regulations. Uh, and they can, again, uh, the right have, get themselves the right to, to judge, for example, on so-called on-the-ball incidents, I mean, which is a, a very, very strange notion which has been brandished to uh, explain why retrospective action wasn't taken on, on really horrific tackles uh, that were half seen by the referee and it, because it was on the ball they cannot get go back onto that but they can do that when it is Brian Savivarovic being mm. bitten by Luis Suarez mm. and, and it's the discrepancy in itself uh, is, is, uh, generates um, as much controversy as it's not a question of throwing the book at someone um, because of his, you know, character or his previous. It's a question of just uh, using your reason. And that there are some red card tackles which perhaps would justify only a two-match ban. Some which would be just justify a four-match ban. Some a six-match ban. Some a twelve-match ban. And some even a season ban. Mm. So you have to give yourself this leeway. And by refusing to do so, I mean, I'm afraid the FA yet again uh, manages to look rather foolish. And uh, the Suarez uh, case is, is another example, uh, absurdum, if you wish, of, of their inflexibility yeah. and their lack of desire to, to move along and to try to understand that there are other ways to legislate on the game. Sure. Um, I think we could, we could talk all night uh, about, yes, indeed. <laughs> about the FA. So we'll move on um, uh, to Arsenal. In a very good run of form, despite the points dropped at Everton, it's 19 from the last 21 in the league. Fulham... Uh, it was an interesting game from the point of view that uh, Arsenal struggled to win against 10 men. Perhaps like mm-hmm. West Brom, uh, they might have dropped points in the final 10 or 15 minutes. You know, the there's been a renewed focus on the way the team is set up and the way it, it, it looks after the defensive side of the game. Uh, has it come at the cost of, of some of Arsenal's attacking uh, flair in, in, in the sense that, you know, they went down to 10 men against Fulham and looked nervous. They never looked like they were really, really uh, in control of the game. No, Fulham looked no, very didn't. dangerous. I guess it's, it's sort of out of balance a bit at the moment that, you know, the defensive side of the game has improved, but it has come at the expense of some of the attacking side of Arsenal's football. Um, I'm not sure that you can explain that by 
a sort of renewed focus on on being a tighter team, especially in the case of uh, a game uh, like against Fulham. Uh, I mean, I was at Craven Cottage on that day, and you know, Sidwell being sent off 12 minutes, and you think this is a doodle. And it wasn't a doodle at all. It was the very opposite of that. Uh, Arsenal really, really struggled. Um, they didn't struggle. And when I, why I, when I say that, it's not a question of, of necessarily rebalancing the team so that it addresses its defensive frailties better than it has done in the past. Uh, though that has happened, it is true. Um, it, it, the fact is that uh, Arsenal had something like 73.9% of the possession. And then the danger came from Fulham on the counter, which they were very swift with uh, Kasenikic and uh, uh, Berbatov is not quite so swift, but very, very, very clever. And Emmanuelson as well, I think, terrific games for them. Um, so w- what you saw was an Arsenal team that didn't have to defend in the sense of it was pressurized and there were long periods of pressure, you know, as it, as it would be the case, like 11 v 11, and you have set pieces and, 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 and the rest and crosses coming from left and right, um, pouring on the, in the box. No, that was not the case at all. Fulham were very dangerous and exposed the, the defense when they were counterattacking. The problem was rather that uh, uh, it seemed that like those players were quite happy, and in the Arsenal players, that is, were quite happy just to pass the ball around uh, the, uh, the opponent's penalty box, as if it were uh, like the semicircle in front of a handball mm. uh, keeper. Uh, the, the ball was traveling laterally, um, not very quickly. Very often it was a, a little pass, one touch, another little pass, laterally, then another little pass, then two touches, then let's go back, and, and so on and so on. It went on forever. A bugbear of yours, that, isn't it? That the speed of Arsenal's passing, that when they're at their least effective is when they don't zip the ball about the way they, they have done in, in, in times past. No, and I'm afraid there were a few players on that occasion. I'm not saying I'm not blaming them for the whole season, but there were some players on that occasion who seemed quite happy not to take the responsibility to, uh, well, to try and force a difference, such as you know going towards an opponent and trying to beat him, dribble, uh, I don't know, do something a bit different, or mm-hmm. play in first intention, as we say in France, and instead of having this first control, keep the ball moving but straight away and quit more quickly. When you're playing against ten men, honestly, that shouldn't be that extraordinarily difficult. Uh, but it, it proved so, and, and you had really the feeling that there was a, a lack of imagination, uh, that there was a lack of, uh, uh, of, of bite, and so to speak, <laughs> um, in, in the way that the ball was used. And, and far too many players, I wouldn't say they were hiding, uh, but, but they were not really trying um, harder to, uh, to create a difference, to make a difference by themselves. And uh, I can tell you, I thought in the end, when I, when I left um, Craven Cottage, I thought it was... Okay, so three points, and therefore this tremendous run of form in terms of uh, accruing points on, on the table continues. But in terms of the quality of the play, that was one of the worst performances I had seen from Arsenal this season. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I would even put it as far as you know, creating chances and creating football. It was on a par with what I saw uh, at Norwich, uh, which was really a, a nadir of, of the season. That, that's how bad it was. Yeah. Um, and and that, that that is you know motive for concern. Even if mathematically speaking, you look at the table, you think well actually now Arsenal are in absolute. Uh, I mean they, they they are in a position where honestly the third place and so direct qualification for the Champions League phase group phase um, seems a 
a likelihood rather than just a possibility. Mm. Well, what's he going to do then this Sunday? Because we know Giroud is, is absent. Uh, his yes. suspension was upheld. And, and, you know, he won't be blind to the fact that the team played that poorly. I think he, he referenced it. And it's something that... I've noticed in, in the last couple of weeks is that he has been uh, quite honest about the way the team performed, that, you know, he's right to talk about the spirit and to talk about the fact that, you know, Arsenal grinding out a result is a good thing, regardless of whether Indeed. it's against 10 men or not. But, you know, there, there's been some criticisms of Giroud himself, for example. He said he had a terrible first half in one of the recent games, much better in the second half. We don't normally hear Arsene Wenger be that upfront about his players. He may have to change, well, he definitely has to change something about the team going into the game against Manchester United. He's got three options, I guess, in Gervinho, Podolsky and, and Walcott. But will the performance against Fulham, do you think that will prompt him to make other changes, perhaps? Maybe bring in Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, for example? I was precisely going to do that, but I'm, I'm wondering if this is uh, some kind of wishful thinking on our behalf, because I think there are a great many people who've watched Arsenal this season who would have liked to see far more of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain during the season. And um, I, I, would, I would hope so. And I think an option would certainly be having Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right flank. Uh, running at Patti Sevra, who is, you know, going forward, probably has had one of the best seasons uh, for a while uh, for Manchester United. Uh, but having Oxford Chamberlain trying, I mean, he, to, to go to get against uh, Evera uh, would, would be a definite possibility. Uh, I, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here as well, but okay. uh, uh, which is the fact that what about Jenkinson, for example? Um, who is a player who's got um, very good quality in terms of his crossing, which is not necessarily something you've seen a lot from Bakary Sanya, who to me seems to be, I mean, he's solid enough, we all know that, um, but uh, it doesn't bring as much uh, in terms of attacking uh, as he used to, uh, seems sometimes to have uh, his head somewhere else. Uh, and, and up front, I don't think the Trevino uh, experiment will be uh, attempted again, not against Manchester United, not against uh, a defence with, uh, central defence where you've got uh, Ferdinand and DHI, I doubt that. Um, I, I would, I would inclined, be inclined to think that Lukas Podolski is finally going to start a game. Uh, that would be more my, 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 my guess, my intuition, so to speak. Mm. Um, so uh, the other question you have is the fact that is, you know, having Santi Casola put on the left-hand side of the attacking strident behind the main striker, is it the right way to deploy him? Perhaps not. He's more efficient when he plays in, uh, you know, a, a normal nine and a half or, or number ten position, just like Tomaszewski, by the way. Mm-hmm. But that, that's that's a recurrent problem of Arsenal, who've got so many players who can fit in that role. You can't all put them in the same position. Um, what will he do? Would it still be? I mean, Mikel Arteta is the, uh, obviously the uh, the foundation of his midfield. Um, Jack Wilshere, you can imagine that he's going to start again, um, even though it doesn't look to me fully fit, far from it. And he seems, uh, which you can see in his frustration on the pitch, by the way, you can really feel that it, here is a player who is not performing at the top of his capacities and, and is really feeling it. Um, but there are not many, many solutions, really. I mean, the, the, technically, the system hasn't changed at all, almost all season. It's, it's a 4 2 3 1. Uh, there have been sometimes uh, hints of a, of a of a more four three three formation, um, but it's the old four two three one with Arteta and and Wilshere in front of the back four, Wilshere in a more advanced position perhaps. 
and you know this is not going to change. This is the way Arsenal has played this season. So it's more a question of personnel. Arsenal. And the other question, yeah, do you do you think that Lukas Podolski can be deployed as a centre forward? Mm. Um, well, here's an occasion to find if uh, he can do the job on that and against you know the champion. Um, mm. So, but my guess would be, my hope is um, you you will have uh, Oxford Chamberlain and perhaps Phil Walcott in in the middle. I, I don't know. It's just a feeling that I mm. have. Well, what, what do you make of the game very quickly um, before we wrap it up? Oh, obviously, there's the, the sideshow involving yeah, well, uh, that guy that, you know, I don't particularly want to talk about. But it sort of overshadows the importance of the game from an Arsenal point of view because it is so tight in that top four. Uh, Arsenal yes. do need to get something from this game. So while it's a distraction and it's all part of the pantomime, you know, they, they've got to be fully focused on, on this. Is there any chance of a, a Manchester United hangover, given the fact they've won the league? Or will they no. want to come out all guns blade? Because there's talk, I, I heard them, you know, speaking in midweek about going for the points record that's held by uh, the Mourinho-Chelsea team. So I think they're going to be right up for this. Uh, completely. Um, it's the they can they can get to 96 points, which is one more than Chelsea in 2004-2005. Uh, that's no, uh, that's not really a, a small record. So they're going to go for it, and I, I don't think I can't remember. Actually, I'm trying to remember in 2000-2001 when they won the title with five games to spare. Um, they still carried on playing. And just just like uh, I mean, even though the. Uh, uh, the motivation won't be the same. But remember, when Arsenal wrapped up the title in 2003-2004, of course there was the invincibility to protect, which was a great factor of motivation, but they, they, they did it suddenly, and they were absolutely knackered at the end of, of that season. But they mm. still managed to do it, and there was a great deal of pride in that group of players. As I believe, you know, whether we like it or not, uh, there is a great deal of pride in that group of Manchester United players. Uh, there will be some rotation for Manchester United, as there always is, um, but I would expect them to uh, to be as determined uh, as they've been all through the season. Uh, they, they, that's what perhaps has been the most impressive with them, I must say, in the second half of the season. They just looked like, you know, the way they carried on playing. and that, I think this, 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 Yeah. I mean, think of the game at West Ham where they really were put under the cosh. And they, you know, honestly, they lost that game instead of taking a point. Would it have made a difference in, in, in the championship? Nah, it wouldn't have. But they, they, they fought like dogs, and they got the draw. So uh, I, I do not expect a game that is without significance for them, even though it is of far greater significance, as you're right to point out for Arsenal. You've got to get those three points there. If you do that, as I said, you'll be really in the, in the driving seat for the, third, for the first third place, because Chelsea and Tottenham are going to drop points. We all know that. Right. And they're going to drop points against each other, for starters. Mm. So um, I, I, I don't expect... A, uh, a tepid end of season encounter between Arsenal and Manchester United not at all back to the old days hopefully where it was all a bit fiery and tetchy and yes. and uh, all good fun to look at ok listen Philippe, <laughs> we, we better leave it there thank you very much indeed we'll catch you again soon ok take care thank you as always to Philippe you can find him on Twitter he is at Philippe Auclair so do make sure you follow we'll be looking ahead to Manchester United on Sunday and that guy after this, I was sitting at a bar drinking old fashions, thinking on a case. This guy thought his old lady was running around town. She was smoking, he was squat. He was right, she was running around town, training for a marathon. You don't get an ass like that sleeping with a guy who looks like a thumb. Hey mister, said a guy beside me. What do you want, I said. 
You don't look happy, he said. I bet I know what's wrong. Oh, yeah, I said, what's that? Your job, he said. You know a lot about jobs, I asked. Yeah, he said, I used to have this job. Great place to work. Everybody liked me, but I didn't turn up a lot on time. First few years, I was out sick and... You know, I couldn't be bothered. Then I got my shit together. I was brilliant. Then this other guy came along, he said. He offered me a new job. I asked him, is there a load more money? Yeah, he said, there's more money. You know what it makes me now, he asked. I looked at him. Yeah, I said, makes you a cunt. We'll have more from Amari Bischoff, P.I., Uh, Before the end of the season, I am sure. Not that there's long to go this season. There's only four more games, starting with Sunday's encounter with champions Manchester United. As we spoke about with Philippe, I don't think there's any real hope of them arriving hungover or not up for this one. They want to take over uh, Chelsea's all-time points total. So they'll be right up for this one. There's the added spice, of course, of the return of Robin Van Persie. A lot of talk about him during the week. Uh, Some people saying he was justified to leave other people saying he's a cunt i'm you know very much in the he's a cunt category you know i can see both sides but you know i choose to be on the side that that thinks he's a cunt uh he's going to get a hostile reception i think that's perfectly okay i think it's part and parcel of football even those people who think he was absolutely right to leave and it uh, shows the problems that we have even if it does you know he, he did leave us after You know, a number of seasons where, for the most part, he was injured. And we gave him a platform to play as a central striker. We did a lot for that man's career. And look, time is short. He can do what he wants. He's perfectly entitled uh, to make it uh, absolutely impossible for him to stay at the club by releasing a certain statement. You know, we took $24 It was the only thing we could really do under the circumstances. He's entitled to do exactly what he wants. I'm entitled to think he's a cunt, which is what I do. There is that song, of course, which has been sung this season. Um, There are a couple of good reasons why I hope that doesn't get sung, primarily because singing about somebody being raped, whether it happened or not, is just thoroughly objectionable to me, and I hope to most decent people, Um, regardless of whether you dress it up as banter or just stuff that goes on on the terraces, it's an appalling thing to sing about. The second thing, or second reason, of course, is that the second verse is perfectly acceptable and and much more in line with my way of thinking. And uh, if that were to be aired the whole time, absolutely fine. Perhaps just good old-fashioned barracking of him every time he's on the ball would do the trick and uh, all the other stuff that's built up could get in uh, behind supporting the team on the day because they are going to need it. We're playing Manchester United, who are the champions. Uh, We haven't won against the top four side this season. And regardless of all the pantomime and everything else that goes on with his return... This is a game from which we have to get something because the race for the top four is so very, very tight. We need a result, whether it's a draw. Ideally, we want to take three points from this. Um, It's going to be very difficult. So uh, if the atmosphere is electric and it's uh, hostile and it's it's. Uh, primarily in support of the team, then I think that will do us some good. The team itself, it's hard to know what the manager will do. He's got to make a choice on who's going to replace Olivier Giroud. I think probably it'll be Theo Walcott. If Lucas Podolski is fit enough, he might be better suited to it. Uh, I don't see Walcott getting much change out of Vidic and Ferdinand or whoever else is in the centre of the United defence. I just don't think he's good enough to play uh, as a centre forward. This, if you're listening to it on Monday and and Walcott has scored a few goals, it was only uh, to make him play well and 
You know how it is, the old uh, reverse jinx thing going on. But uh, if Podolski were fully fit, I think he would be the more obvious choice. I'd like maybe to see Oxlade-Chamberlain get a run, as we spoke about with Philippe as well. Uh, Jack Wilshire could come back into the side, but we do have some options, I guess. Um, it's just hard to know how we're going to play. The performances in recent weeks haven't been particularly good. Uh, the results uh, have been very good, apart from maybe the, the Everton game, but 19 out of 21 in the league is good going. We've got to keep it going. We can't lose this game. Whatever else happens, we cannot lose this game. The other teams around us are going to drop some points. Chelsea and Tottenham have still to play each other, and we've got to focus on uh, Arsenal's need for a result rather than um, taking revenge or shouting at a cunt. And I think, you know, there's room for both, obviously, but uh, hopefully we can get right behind the team and just create the kind of atmosphere that will inspire them to go and get three points, if not a point, and hopefully not anything less than that. So um, let's keep everything crossed uh, for Sunday. Uh, we'll chat on next week's Arscast. Hopefully we're in a good position and we're keeping our run going in this league. So until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs>